0: One of the first songs that I ever learned as a uh, kid growing up. Anybody know what it is? Ah, Someone's humming it. Zacchaeus. I'm not going to sing it, Ben. Don't worry. Okay. You don't want that. (laughs) Zacchaeus. What was he? A wee little man. A wee little man was he. He climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see what, as the Savior passed that way, he looked up in the tree and he said, what? Zacchaeus, you come down from going to your house today. All right. I told Dwayne uh, on Wednesday that I was going to share that and then just end and have the invitation. <laughs> Some of y'all might like that. I don't know, but <laughs> too bad you're not getting that. <laughs> so uh, what, does that, what, what does that tell us? What does that tell me? Uh, The fact that I learned that from a young age, and I can still remember the words to that, for one, I think it shows the impact of teaching children biblical stories. And what do we have coming up? We have VBS. And, you know, we can kind of get wrapped up in the routine of things, but we should never forget the impact of uh, events like Vacation Bible School, um, teaching the future generation of believers who are going to um, serve in the church, and so we have that coming up next week. That was a shameless plug, but let's be in prayer for that. And you never know what fruit uh, will come come from that. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 19 tonight, the Gospel of Luke chapter 19, and of course we're looking at the story of Zacchaeus. It was uh, March. The date was March 3rd, 1882. <laughs> And a man was born in northern Italy, and he was given the name Charles. He moved to the US when he was 21, so in 1903. And by 1920, he uh, started a little gimmick with what he called the International Reply Coupons. And you could, what you could do, you could prepay for these. Postages for for the mail, you could pre or for postage for the mail, and basically this coupon, you would buy it for a very cheap price overseas, and you could make a profit on it here in the U.S. And early on, it it worked really well. Uh, within uh, a few months, people heard about this, and he was getting about a million dollars every week. And this is 1920, so I mean this is a good Good, substantial amount of money. Well, people started kind of getting a little suspicious about it. And so there was an article written and the man who wrote the article said that there are not enough coupons in the world to support this scheme. So something's not right. And uh, he was exposed of what he was doing. Uh, He didn't invest in these at all didn't have any investment in this whatsoever. What he did was he paid off the early investors, so you're kind of catching on maybe what's going on. He paid off the early investors, the people who invested in it early, with the ticket profits from those who invested later on. And what ended up happening was that customers ended up going bankrupt, and he was caught, and he was taken to jail. This man... Charles go, went by the name of Charles Ponzi, where we get the uh, coin, the term Ponzi scheme, right? He ended up getting around the equivalent of what we would today have about $220 million. And he went to jail uh, for about three and a half years. He ended up uh, going back to Italy, and he died with $75 to his name. But... Even though this crime is named after him, there are plenty of things like that done before him and plenty of things done like that after him. When you think of 2008, who do you think of? Bernie Madoff, goodness gracious. He uh, made Charles Ponzi look like a wimp, really, with, uh, with what he did. He basically, when the, in 2008, when the recession hit, lost $65 billion of people's hard-earned money. And he ended up dying in prison a couple of years ago. But just think about the victims of the crimes of men like these. People who were honest, who worked hard for a living, who who you know lived from paycheck to paycheck, finally were able to build up some something to live off of when they retired, you know, a modest income, if you will, just to find out actually that money. Never even existed. it's not even to your name. How would you feel if you were one of the victims of uh, Charles Ponzi or Bernie Madoff or someone to that effect? How would you feel? I know how I would feel as I was like reading I was reading these stories, and I remember uh, I like to listen to podcasts, and there's a good podcast out that. Um, I don't know why I like to listen to, it's called American Scandal it goes through all the biggest scandals in the history of America and that, the first one I ever listened to is Bernie Madoff. I'm like, this man was, I don't know how else to put it, but just a crook. And um, just thinking about the countless people who were affected from his sin, from his greed, uh, from his, I mean, he was a thief, selfishness. How would you feel if you were a victim of his? and you saw him face to face, what would be your initial reaction? Christianity, the Christian answer aside, what would you want to do when you saw him? You know, Yes, uh, you said what everyone was probably thinking. Um, My righteousness would be indignated. That's exactly right, Mark. That's exactly right. You, you definitely would not uh, invite him to your house, right? <laughs> you wouldn't do that. Well, in our text, we come to uh, a point in the Gospel of Luke, where you have primarily two characters, two men, one who is, well, both of them are very well-known in, in the area. Uh, one is well-known for good reasons, and the other is well-known for bad reasons. You have uh, a man who who has been healing people, healing the sick, changing lives, not just temporarily, that we learned last week, but but also eternally. He's been preaching, obviously talking about Jesus here. So you have Jesus, and then you have another man who is a schemer and uh, basically one nobody likes about the equivalent in some instances of how you would feel toward the men I just mentioned earlier. And this is where we come to a text, these two men. And we start by reading in verse one in chapter 19, he, he being Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. So here's one uh, character in the story. You got Jesus, he's passing through Jericho. And this place, Jericho, I mean, if you think about in uh, the history of, of Israel, Jericho is the first place that, that the Israelites conquered in the Old Testament. You know, the battle, Joshua fighting the Battle of Jericho, there's another song that we could sing. You have that. Um, it's also, at that time, it was a very rich and affluent city. And it was one that catered to the wealthy, catered to uh, the prosperous in that time. And so Jesus is passing through this place and uh, just preceding this text, he was approaching Jericho, and we'll kind of cover what he did there later on in this message. but he enters Jericho, and it says he was passing through. So it's not like he was staying, he wasn't going to linger here for a long time. He was passing through. He was on a mission uh, where uh, in this text by the time we get to this point, we're approaching um, his triumphal entry. and Of course, we have several other events that follow that, but he's passing through Jericho. When we come to verse two, we meet the other character, and there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. So let's stop right here for a second. It's interesting to note that this man's name uh, basically meant pure, it meant innocent, it meant righteous in, in the Hebrew tongue. I'm sure his parents probably named him that in hopes that he would live up to that name, that he would that his identity would correspond to his name. Unfortunately, that did not happen. Um, but it's just really ironic that 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 was his, that that was his name. So we see this man, uh, Zacchaeus. It says he was a chief tax collector. and I like what Luke adds at the end, and he was rich. so you get a pretty good picture of this man, and if you know about tax collectors in this time period, they were um, very much uh, corrupt for several reasons. They, one, they worked for the Roman government, and that's not why they were corrupt, but they were corrupt because they, the Roman government would let them take a, a share, a profit, of the people's hard-earned money that they would get. So they owed uh, the Roman Empire, and then, you know, the tax collector could collect a little bit of extra for himself, a tip, if you will. On top of that, you have this man, Zacchaeus, who is a Jew. So now the, the Jews already don't like the tax collectors, much less a Jewish tax collector. Because what is what does that seem to be? You're, you're not only a, a crook, you're a traitor to your own people, to your own countrymen. So People, Jews in this day despised tax collectors. They were were thieves. There was nothing good about them. And then not only was he a tax collector, Luke says he was a chief tax collector. I mean, he's one of the top dogs. He's one of the top guys in this line of work. And he was rich. So we know that's probably how he gained his wealth, off of people's hard-earned money. Just going from house to house collecting what is owed to the Roman government and then some for himself. So, we we encounter these two men in the text. Uh, this man's name's Ikeya, so we know he's hated uh, because what 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 can a Jew do? What can a uh, a citizen do at that time? If if for one, the only option is really to give him the money that is owed, but and that's. That's natural, you needed, they needed to do that, but whatever extra, Zacchaeus wanted to charge them, they couldn't, I mean, I guess you could tell them no, but what would end up happening? Some Roman guards would pay you a visit. So really, you're, you're tied, you got your hands tied behind your back and Zacchaeus is just taking your money from you. So these people hated men like him uh, and they definitely knew about him, I can guarantee that. So this is where we find ourselves in this text with Jesus passing through uh, Jericho, And this seemingly random man uh, who is a crook, who's a thief, who everybody probably hates, named Zacchaeus, who is um, basically feeding off of people's income. And then in verse 3, we see the Savior passing. Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was. So he's trying to get a look at who Jesus was and was unable because of the crowd Before we finish that verse, Zacchaeus is wanting to see this man named Jesus. He's wanting to uh, get a look at him. Why why do you think he wants to to look at Jesus? Well, uh, and see Jesus. He's very well known, obviously, at this point in his ministry. This is approaching the end of his ministry of him performing all these miracles, as I mentioned earlier. Um, And so he wants to get a glimpse of him. Maybe he just wants to see if he could perform a miracle. Maybe he just wants to see if this man is who he really claims to be. And maybe this man, Zacchaeus, is lonely and he's desperate and he has no one. Uh, He's probably very lonely. And he just wants to get a glimpse of this man who has done all of these wonderful things. But he was unable to. Why? Because of the crowd. There's so many people following him. What what happened just earlier? He, He healed a blind beggar. Okay, so all these people are gathered around. He heals this blind beggar. He's going towards Jericho. They follow him. He's in Jericho. They're all following him. There's a huge crowd, and so he can't see him because of this huge crowd. But not only that, he was small in stature. He's what we call vertically challenged. He's got a little problem. He can't really see because there's so many people in the area. He he could. I'm sure if you were an average height, it would be hard to see. Uh, jesus in this crowd much less if you are short so he wants to see jesus he can't because of the crowd and he's short so he's got a problem here (laughs) he's got he's got a little predicament he can't see the one he wants to see so what does he do he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him for he was about to pass through the way now i have to ask why would he get up in the tree Well, I mean, the main reason's in the text. He's short. He can't see him. He wants to see him. He has this problem, so he climbs up a sycamore tree. Thankfully, sycamore trees have some low-hanging branches, so it's not like he has to just climb up the base of the tree. He can, you know, probably hold on and climb up, start climbing up. So, thank the Lord for that sycamore tree that day. He ran ahead, but what was the other reason maybe why he climbed up there? Well, I think there could be some other reasons, I'm sure people recognized him in that crowd. He was probably well-known from going house to house, collecting that money, stealing their money. And it probably, it wouldn't surprise me if when he was in that crowd, if he tried to stay in that crowd, someone might accidentally, you know, give him one of those because you're, you're probably, they're probably thinking, you're tough when you have Roman guards right beside you at knocking on my door, asking for, not asking for, demanding what is owed and then getting your share. You're a tough guy when you got two Roman guards next to you. You're a Roman guard. But when you're by yourself and Jesus is passing through Jericho and you don't have a Roman guard you better not let your guard down. You got, you got some issues coming towards you. So there is probably several reasons. He, he didn't want to be in that crowd, worried for his, probably his own safety. He was short, wanted to see Jesus. But I think in a way, he probably didn't want to be seen either. For one, because of the crowd. Uh, they didn't want, he didn't want to be uh, recognized. He didn't want to be found. But and, and I don't want to look too much into this text, uh, too much into this, what's not there, but just thinking kind of psychologically, if this man, Jesus, is who he claims to be, he's probably feeling some shame. He might not even want Jesus to see him. He might just want to look at Jesus and say, okay, I saw this man. I saw this righteous person who's done all these things, Pastor. At least I can tell that uh, to my family if I have a family, uh, if I have any friends, or I can brag about it that I saw Jesus, but he might not even wanted Jesus to see him, just for that reason, his shame. But Jesus is passing that way, and it's, it's interesting to note that really, unless I'm mistaken, this is the last time he's passing through. So this is really Zacchaeus's only chance, most likely, to see the Son of God walking past him. This is his only chance, just like Bartimaeus blind beggar in the in the text preceding this in the 18th chapter. So because we're about to enter the triumphal entry, we're about to enter his uh, mock trial, Christ's mock trial, about to witness his crucifixion. I mean, we're getting close to the end. So this is, this is pretty much this man's only chance to encounter this man named Jesus. But now as we look further in the text, we kind of see the narrative shift from... Uh, focusing on the tax collector to Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior. In verse 5, we see when Jesus came to the place, to the place where he was passing through, where everyone is following him, he looked up. So think about this. Jesus is walking through the crowd. He's eye level with everybody. People, are, I'm sure, are trying to talk to him, trying to, uh, as the other passage talks about, just touching the hem of his garment, just wanting to get a glimpse of him, just wanting to have him for just a second, maybe to ask him a question or to talk to him. And I'm sure there are plenty of people there in this affluent city where people were wealthy, uh, they were well known, wanting to see him and probably thinking, I will get the Savior's ear. Surely I will have the Savior's ear. Surely I will be able to talk to Jesus and I'll get his attention. And when I get his attention, this is what I'm going to ask him to do. This is what I'm going to ask him. These are the questions that I have for him. They were, there were probably a lot of people that day thinking, as he's passing this way, he's going to come look at me and he's going to talk to me because I'm good. I'm somebody. I guarantee you the last person that thought they were going to have a conversation with Jesus was the man that scurried up that tree. But, Jesus, eye level with all these people, comes to this specific place, and he stops. And what does he do? The Son of God looks up into a tree at this man. What is interesting about this? Well, I think there's a couple of things interesting about it. One, and I've mentioned it already in chapter 18, Bartimaeus, you have this blind beggar who, if you think about in the culture that day, uh, if you were... If you're blind, you're pretty much reduced to begging. If you were, And if you're a beggar, you're just worth nothing in society, in that culture, in that day. And so Jesus is passing by this man, and he hears about it. He hears the crowd going by, and he began to inquire what this was. This is verse 37 now. They told him that Jesus of Nazareth was passing by, and he called out saying, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who led the way, so some of his disciples probably, along with, with just the crowd in general, they, stir, they were sternly telling him to be quiet. Enough, cut it out. This man is busy. He's got better things to do than talk to a beggar. But he kept crying out all the more because he said, I'm desperate. There, I have nothing to lose. Kept crying out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And what, is, what are the next three words in the text? And Jesus stopped. Jesus was walking through, had a lot of things to do, son of God on a mission, and you have this poor blind beggar who's worthless in his culture's eyes, and he just cries out to this man, and he stops in his tracks, and he turns around, asks him what he can do for him, and he heals him. But this this crowd that that looked at Bartimaeus, who was simply a blind beggar, that's all he, I mean, that's... That was his dilemma, if you will. And the people were rude to him. Imagine how they felt toward Zacchaeus. And whenever the son of man, the son of God, stopped and looked up at Zacchaeus, imagine what the people felt then. I mean, this man's a crook. This man is is has you know taken pretty much our way of life. Or anything we've saved, he's taken it, and the Son of God is stopping in his tracks to look up in a tree. God in the flesh humbling himself, as we read in Philippians 2, and he looks up at a crook who's sitting in a tree. And this crook is looking down at the Son of God. I mean, just think of that image right there. You have Jesus the one who's going to redeem the world of their sin, those who call out to him, who's going to die a brutal death on the cross of Calvary, and he stops in his tracks at this sycamore tree and looks up at the most despised person there. He stopped in his tracks for the man that was least likely to be picked by Jesus, to be talked to by Jesus. But Jesus... As he has done oftentimes in his ministry, surprises everybody. And what does he say to him? He says, he looked up and he said, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So at this point, you have Zacchaeus looking for Jesus, looking at Jesus, trying to find Jesus, so he climbs up this tree. And then you now you have Jesus looking for him. So you kind of have to ask the question: who's Looking for who? Who's looking for whom in this situation? Apparently, Zacchaeus on the surface looks like he's looking for Jesus. He, I'm wanting to find the Son of God. I'm wanting to at least catch a glimpse of him if this is the Son of God. But now you have this man who not only looks like a regular Jew who's done extraordinary things, stop in his tracks, look at him, and he doesn't say, come down. He calls me by name. What in the world is going on? This is Somebody had to tell him like, hey, Zacchaeus is up in a tree and you need to uh, correct him of his wrong. He's, you, he's got some explaining to do. You need to preach to him. But he knew his name. He already knew his name. Isn't that a comforting thing to know that the son of God walking the face of the earth in this time stops for a blind beggar And he stops for a thief who no one would want to have anything to do with. Either one of those men. And he stops, heals the blind beggar, looks up in the tree, says, Zacchaeus, come down. So as Jesus talks to Zacchaeus and tells him to come down, I mean, he doesn't say, hey, Zacchaeus, can you come down? I would like to invite you over uh, where I typically stay. I mean, he really didn't have a place to stay, but we'll find a place and we'll talk. He didn't say that. Did he ask him, Zacchaeus, is it okay if we lodge at your house for the night? Is it okay if we we go to your place and just talk through? No, he didn't even ask him. What does he do? He says, Zacchaeus, hurry up, come down for today. I must stay at your house. I have to Why? He really answers the question in verse 10, the final verse in our text, for the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. He was, as I've said already, was on a mission and he knew he was passing through. He wasn't dwelling. He wasn't gonna stay in Jericho and he knew Zacchaeus needed him, whether Zacchaeus really realized it or not and told him, you need to come down. I'm coming to your house today. And so what's his response? He hurried and came down and received him gladly thinking, I was not expecting this to happen. I just wanted to observe. I just wanted to see the Son of Man pass. I really didn't want to get noticed. And now you're calling me out, not just saying, hey, come down. You're calling me by name. So, I mean, now everybody knows I'm here. Everybody hates me. My, I might be a, there might be a mob that's going to start forming. But yeah, I'll gladly come down because I want to talk to you. I want to, I want to have you over at my house. But what was the response of the people? What would you think it would be? <laughs> Whatever you think it was, you're probably right. Verse seven, when they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, he has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Think about maybe what they told him, what they were telling Jesus when Jesus stops and he looks up at the sycamore tree, says, Zacchaeus, come down. I have to go to your house today. <clears throat> I'm sure the people in the crowd were thinking, "Jesus, don't do it." I don't know if you know who this guy is. He's going to take every penny you of course not pennies, but he's going to take every penny you have. Every he's going he's going to take everything you've got. Don't trust him. He's he's a part of a Ponzi scheme. Don't trust this man. He's not good. Not only is he not good, he betrays his own people. None of us like him. I'm warning you, Jesus. I wouldn't do it if I were you. And he's just healed Bartimaeus, the what they would consider scum of society as well. And obviously this isn't recorded in the text, but you could almost picture Jesus saying, you know, I don't have any money he can take, first of all, but I have something and what I do have is priceless and I'm going to give it to him. That's pretty much this interaction that we have here. uh, The crowd grumbling, said, I cannot believe you're doing this. This is not wise. It very well could have been some of his own disciples that were saying, Jesus, this is not a wise decision. I mean, I wouldn't be telling Jesus this might not be a wise decision, but we do it all the time to God. Jesus, you sure, God, you sure this is the right thing to do? We doubt God all the time, but they were saying, don't do this. He's saying, I got this. I'm going to this man's house, because why? Jesus had already said it before. He said, "Those who are whole don't need a physician. Those who are whole don't need a doctor. Who? Those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, whether they are self-proclaimed righteous. I have called to come. Sin- I have called sinners to repentance. Those." who need me, those who need to be made right. Those are the ones I've come for. Those are the ones I'm calling. And I'm calling this man because he is sick. He needs to be made whole, just like Bartimaeus was. And I'm calling this man who is a thief because he needs to be made right. So I'm going to his house. And what I have to offer him is priceless and I want him to receive it. And the crowd is, I'm sure, standing there speechless. And then he goes to his house. I wish we would have this conversation. It would be interesting to know what was said between Jesus and Zacchaeus. We don't, it's not important. But we get, I think, the the more important piece in this passage, we see this man was changed. In verse eight, Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. So basically what he's saying is everything I have taken from people, because remember in verse 2, he was rich. He, We know he got rich by stealing from uh, the citizens. So he's saying, I'm going to give back I'm going to give half of what I have to the poor and if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I'll give it back four times as much. This is more than what the Old Testament law even required. So what is this saying? Zacchaeus is saying, you know, I'm doing this out of love, this is, I'm a changed person. I'm not doing this because I so I can earn salvation. I'm not doing this so I can earn to be made right with God. Why? Because Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. He didn't say that because Zacchaeus first said, well, I'm going to give to the poor. I'm going to give back. And Jesus said, well, I'm, I'm impressed at what you're saying, so I'm giving you salvation. No, salvation happened. He was transformed. And because he was transformed, Zacchaeus was a changed person. Man And he said, this is now what I'm going to do. This is how I'm going to live, because you changed me, because I'm a changed man. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. This is one of, to me, the greatest wonders in Scripture of how Jesus going to I mean, you see it countless times, going to the poor, the least of these, the neglected, the rejected, those who were despised, those who were hated. And whether it was self-inflicted or not, he still went to them because he wanted them to be changed. He wanted them to be made right with him. And that's really the great wonder of salvation, isn't it? Because we are all Zacchaeus. We are all this blind beggar, from the previous chapter. There's nothing good that we have to offer. We've sinned. I'm sure Zacchaeus led led a very lonely life up until this point. He had all the money he wanted and then some, I'm sure. But he was probably a very lonely man, no friends, nobody in his life. And then you have Jesus walking by, the God in the flesh looking up in the sky at a tree, at a crook and says, come down, I want to be your savior. I want to be the Lord of your life. And that's what salvation is. Zacchaeus thought he was looking for Jesus, but all along, Jesus was looking for him to change his life, to become the Lord, the savior of his life. Do you feel like this at times? Do you feel like if you're, you might be here and, and you may have never had a, a true encounter with the living God like Zacchaeus had? Do you feel at times like you're lonely, that, that you've done so much, you're too far gone, you've sinned so many times, you've sinned one too many times that God cannot and will not forgive you? If that's the case, you come to the Lord humbly. You might be thinking, well, I'm looking for Jesus to change me. He's been looking for you all along. And he knows where you are. He knows more about you than you can ever know about yourself. And he still says, I want to offer you this gift that I gave to this man. And all you have to do is do what Zacchaeus did, receive him gladly, by turning from your sin and turning to him. Those of us who have accepted this gift freely, we should never forget a couple things we can learn from this. One, we should never forget how Zacchaeus felt and should always feel that grateful for the salvation that we have been given. But also as a church, if we're not careful, we're gonna try and reach people that are just like us. And that's great. I mean, everybody needs to be reached. But there are a lot of people in this community that have no hope whatsoever No one wants to reach out to them. No one wants to extend a hand of invitation to them because they're neglected, rejected, they're hated by society, they're looked down upon. You know what? Anytime I look in scripture, those are the very people that Jesus went to. What are we doing as Gamble Street to reach them? Corporately and individually. And that's a question that I have to answer myself. What are we doing because that's who Jesus went after. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this passage of scripture of a man who constantly sought to seek shortcuts, steal from people, take things from people, take people's livelihood, and probably did it joyfully in the sense that he enjoyed doing that and then comes to a point in his life where he hears that this man named Jesus who claims to be the son of God is walking by and he says, I just need to get a glimpse of him and finds out that he indeed is the son of God because that very son of God looks up in a tree and calls him by name and changes him. We thank you for that. this passage because You've done the same thing for every believer here. You called us by name. You've known us from before the foundations of the world. You called us by name. And it's simply by your amazing grace that we trusted in you and have been made right. And I pray that that will motivate us as a church to live out faithfully this gospel that you have so uh, graciously given us. May we be ambassadors of this message as we go out in this community and touch the lost for Christ. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.